Good heavens, it's the Bobcast. Welcome to episode 10 with me, your host, Bob Evans slash Kevin Mitchell. Um, thanks a lot for joining me. Uh, once again, if you've been enjoying the podcast or if this is your first time, welcome. I just want to quickly talk about something um, really exciting that we just announced recently. My friend Josh Pike and I just announced a tour. It's kind of a 10-year anniversary celebration of a tour that we, the very first time we toured together, in fact, back in 2006. That tour was called An Evening with Josh Pike and Bob Evans. This tour is called Another Evening with Josh Pike and Bob Evans. And anyway, so it's happening in November and December. Um, check out all the dates by going to um, my Facebook site or my, my website, uh, Bob Evans Music is, a, is the Facebook one. Um and yeah, tickets are on sale. We're going all around the country. Uh, well, we're not going to all around the country. Um, sorry, Tasmania. Sorry, Northern Territory. We won't be visiting those two states or territories, but we are going to all the other places. Um, and yeah, it's going to be heaps and heaps of fun. We're going to play for two plus hours on stage together. We're going to be on stage together the whole time, backing each other up, doing each other's songs playing through our back catalogues it's going to be really really cool um and the uh, response so far to the announcement um has been overwhelmingly great so really really looking forward to that so yeah go to my facebook's page to get tickets bob evans music is the facebook uh, page or or you can go to bob evans.com.au uh, don't forget that I've got a Spotify playlist up. It's it's like it's acts as the soundtrack to this uh, podcast, where I put up three songs after every episode that we've talked about, so you can listen to them if you don't know them, or even if you just want to revisit them. Uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please review it uh, kindly on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate it, and thank you to all the people that have done so already. Okay, let's get into episode ten. There is, of course, a language warning, like all the others. If you don't like bad language. Be warned, there will be the odd f- and sh- and no, nah, actually, there's no, k- there's just a few. F- and sh- um, anyway, episode 10 is with my good mate Laura Imbruglia, who is a has been just a really hard working independent musician for ages. In fact, speaking of the Bob and Josh tour that we're about to do, she was the opening act on that tour 10 years ago, so I've known Laura for a roughly uh, 10 years. Uh, she's just about to start season two of her uh, TV show, Amateur Hour, which is an internet TV show, but uh, she talks about that a bit in the podcast. Anyway, she's just a really interesting person and she's just a real fucking hard worker. Um, I really admire uh, how how hard she works, you know. She's a great example of the hardworking independent artist in this country and um, she's uh, really smart, really funny, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing hearing from her. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. This is episode 10 of Good Evans. It's a Bobcast. Alright, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Miss Laura Imbruglia, joining me on Skype. Hi, 
Laura. G'day, how are you going? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? No, I'm pretty good. Tell me about your day because I don't often sort of start the, these Bobcasts by asking somebody about their day, but I just, I get a sense with you, Loz, that, you know, you're, you're a busy person and I just got a feeling that if I ask you what's your day involved, I'm going to get like a really interesting answer. Wow. <laughs> Geez, pressure. Um, well, it really depends on which day uh, you catch me because uh, three days a week I work um, in an administration sort of role uh, at a company that makes architectural marketing images okay. for developments and that's what I was doing today. I also do the social media for my, the place that I work at and um, I also am multitasking while I'm there and uh, <laughs> I do work for my web series, which I'm making as well. Yes, so tell us about that. That's Amateur Hour, right? That's correct. Yeah, so this looks like, you know, from my uh, perspective, a huge intensive labor of love yeah it's pretty Um, crazy how look i'll I'll leave it to you to sort of describe it's probably a hard thing to even know where to begin yeah it's but take us to the start you know when you you first when you because you've already done uh one season right yep and you're about to get season two so i'll let you you know tell us tell us about it okay well um as a musician I, i observed over a long period of time and became increasingly more angry about it that there were no um nothing replaced rove live and not that i particularly Mm. liked rove live but there's just there are no opportunities in australia on the tv for touring artists or musicians to um, promote their stuff or even if they're not touring just some kind of space on tv for artists yeah and it's weird because they're used they're they're they kind of used to be, um, and then for a while it seems those places where they could perform live on TV became uh, those opportunities became smaller and smaller and, and and more awkward and kind of inappropriate too, right? Like yeah. Um, and so you know you, you as as you and I have both experienced, you know, find yourselves on these kind of TV shows where it sometimes it kind of felt feels a little bit like there's a no one really kind of knows who each other is kind of thing like uh, what are you doing here i don't know what are you what that's totally of, weird yeah i want to just unplug my headphones and plug them into my computer because it's really hissy and i think you're going to be upset about it later okay if you if that's what you're hearing yeah go for it What do you want me to do with, because that kind of happened halfway through. Oh, it's okay. I'll just edit that. It's all good. We'll just keep going. Or maybe I'll leave it in. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So what we were saying. You were saying anyway, yeah, you were saying that, um, yeah, that it came from, the amateur hour came from a frustration of uh, a lack of opportunities for musicians yeah. and, and artists to, to show their stuff on TV. Correct. So I, um, I just had been kind of like getting grumpy and saying to various friends, you know, surely we could make something. Like, and occasionally you do see variety shows pop up and they, it's like they have no idea what they're doing and it's always terrible and it sticks around for like, I don't know, four episodes and then gets axed. Are you talking like on sort of mainstream television and stuff? 
Yeah, I've seen a few pop up, and I can't think of the specific names because they never stuck around for very long. Well, it's but... pretty ruth. It's a ruthless kind of. It's a ruthless game, yeah. isn't it? I mean, well, I, yeah, I guess that that's part of it. There is a bit of a kind of the opinion that people don't want it, which mm. I think is weird. But yeah. you know, you can't even get grants from film funding bodies to make a variety show. Like, it's not a thing that I got one from Creative Victoria and the other ones were from City of Melbourne and stuff, but the actual, you know, like Screen Australia or whatever, they're just kind of like, no one wants it. If they if they wanted it, there'd be a demand and a major network would make one. Hmm. And uh, so I was just kind of like, well, that's bullcrap and I'll just make one myself. And so, yeah, I gathered up a whole bunch of volunteers. We made season one last year with barely any budget i just paid for sandwiches and made sandwiches and <laughs> bought hard drives everyone worked for free anyway so yeah we did that we made a six episode pilot season and just put it up on youtube and uh abc iview picked up a small portion of the show um which was good and then i got a lot of grants um and did a bunch of crowdfunding recently and now we're going into season two so when do you have you started shooting season two yet no, we start on Sunday. Oh, wow. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about the the workload. I mean, because it just, like I said before, from, from my perspective, it looks huge. You know, like it is wrangling <laughs> all this stuff. I mean, like, can you give us like just a sense of like the amount of different stuff you've got to try to organize to get this thing happening? Yeah, I can. So uh, at the moment, I am trying to find a cafe in Sydney that is um, closed on weekends that will let us film a skit for free in their premises with a crew of five people and up to ten actors. Um, I'm also trying to make sure that my release sheets are legally sound before I go into a whole season and make sure that they cover me in case we get picked up down the track and I don't want to have to get things signed again. I am... Packing up um, about 200 packs um, of T-shirts that people ordered on the crowdfunding campaign. Right. I'm securing a camera sponsor. Um, I am writing scripts and I'm trying to find two actors for a skit in Sydney. Uh, And I'm working a part-time job. I'm just looking at my whiteboard sheet. That's about it at the moment. <laughs> it sounds that sounds like a lot, a lot to be trying to take care of. Yeah, yeah. it's it's full on, but I'm a good multitasker, and um, I'm lucky that I have a pretty flexible job that lets me move my days around, and yeah. uh, they don't give me crap if I have to take a personal call. Yeah, having yeah having that kind of job is it must be gold. Um, yeah. So the world of kind of writing grants and all that kind of stuff, or applying for grants. Is that something that you have had a lot of experience in leading into this? Or I imagine a lot of this is kind of, you've kind of been learning on the run a little bit. Yeah. What have you learned? Um, well, I'd only received one grant f- before this for my music career, and that was after two unsuccessful ones. So you do just kind of get better at it as you go. You get better at reading the guidelines really carefully and trying to read between the lines and, and find out what, each place that you're, um, each funding body has their own boxes that they have right. to tick. Yep. 
and they say it in they tell you what they're after but it's not necessarily super clear yeah and it also helps to go along to information nights and get up to date um information that's not so doesn't read so it's not it's not boring to process yeah when someone's actually there's a real human talking to you yeah and i just learned to not um put all my hopes on any one grant so I've been applying for lots of them and I was just lucky with this season that I got I got lots and that once you get a big one um, they just keep throwing money at you which doesn't really seem fair but it it does feel fair for me because I've been working hard but yeah uh, yeah I've been pretty lucky if there are people listening to this podcast that you know are in a position where they could they need a grant or they or that they don't really know how to go about it, you know, could you give us like a, I don't know, a very quick educational uh, summary of... Uh, what's out there. Yeah, what's what's out there and what, what, you know, what you can get. I'm by no means an expert. I sound like an expert, but I only really know about each specific grant that I go for. And it's usually like, they're, they're getting um, pretty good at advertising when the the funding rounds are happening on Facebook. It just comes up in my feed. It tells you the right. cutoff date. And I just, that's how I find out about things and I click on them. But I think there are people that are much better at it than me that go on the websites and trawl through it. But you can get money for touring. There's always money for regional touring if you want to yeah. take your band around Australia. Um, not many bands have the money to do that or the inclination to do that. Victoria's really lucky. Like, People in Melbourne have a lot more opportunities for funding than other places. I know in Sydney, there isn't anything like Creative Victoria. They don't. They have Australia Council, but that's Australia wide. Yeah. So um, particularly if you're in Victoria, it's worth looking into all the options. But there's also like um, there are other ones I didn't even know about. Like there are behind the scenes grants that are for people that might be interested in management or. Okay. I don't know, running a record label. I actually just, um, I'm not trying to plug, but we no, did No, please, a, please, plug away, Laura. But more it's, than it's relevant and it's more informative than I will be. But we did a Facebook post like a couple of days ago um, with a, a, a summary of all the grants that are available right now or like a whole, a nice list yeah. of grants that are available and the cutoff dates and what they're for and who you can you know, what kind of stuff's around. So it's worth checking that out. I think, yeah, I mean, I think anyone that works in the music industry or the arts knows that um, the modern world is very tricky for for artists at Mm. all levels of success. Supporting yourself financially as an artist, you're saying that, you know, you have a um, a, a job, what was it, three days a week that you work? Yeah. Um, And, yeah, like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people I know, musicians mostly um have got jobs on the side um it, I'm, I'm sure it happens more than people know it's people are probably a little bit more of aware of it aware of it now than perhaps 10 years ago because there's been so much kind of bad press about the music industry and how no one's buying records and all that kind of stuff so i, I don't know maybe people are probably a little bit more of aware but i i remember just starting out and even being in a you know a quite successful band we were still only earning a, a wage that was equivalent to the doll. And I swear yeah. people thought that we must be just raking it in. And yeah, it's it, it could not be, it just was not 
the truth and it has <laughs> conjured up many awkward moments just one time i was moving house right and the removalists came up and they saw my car parked outside and the removalist who was aware of who i was was like what are you driving that piece of shit for? That's <laughs> like, fuck you, dude. Like, that's my car. Like, what, you, what did you expect me to have a fucking Ferrari in the driveway of my fucking two-bedroom rental home? Like, that's just one example of many where it's just like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, I think people still have no idea. And even if they do have an idea, they don't feel guilty enough to not just Spotify everything and, like, download all their favorite albums people just don't i've tried i've had so many arguments with people and i've had arguments with fellow musicians and i'm like why why are you singing the praises of free music it's not it's not beneficial to artists at all and i mean i'm just feel like a crotchety old lady like (laughs) i'm in the minority what do you do i mean i mean i think there's like a bit of a sense of powerlessness about a lot of these things because it just seems to be operating on a on this kind of high corporate level that people just don't don't have any access to or feel like they can influence or do anything about, you know? I mean I know like people like Taylor Swift has taken all her stuff off Spotify or whatever, but like she can af- pretty much afford to do whatever she wants. Yeah. But that's a cool public stance to take. Um as a music fan, if you really love if you really do love artists and you wanna support them then you can pay for their albums, buy them. I kind of liken it to buying free-range eggs or like organic stuff. If that's what you're passionate about, and you know, it's it's just a moral choice. You know that you can get stuff for cheaper or for free, but you also know the ramifications of doing that. But what about younger generations that have, from the time they were born? That's all they know. That's all they know. You know, I mean, we're of a. I mean, you're a bit younger than me, and still of a generation that can remember what it was like before Mm -hmm. digital music and free downloads and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's growing population of people that just don't know any different and probably maybe aren't really aware or just, I don't know, I don't know how they, when you think talk about the moral stance of it, I don't know if that's like, they're even aware of it. Yeah, well I guess at at that point then it does need to come from a place of I don't know if it's, yeah, Spotify changing the way that things are run or the government putting in place some kind of rules with it. Yeah. It just sounds, so many people would be like, how dare you suggest that and, you know. Well, the government have done things in the past, like just something that comes to mind is like radio, you know. I know that there have been Australian music quotas that have been, I think they've been enforced, I'm not sure how it all works, but I'm aware of like, radio stations being forced to play a certain quota of Australian music. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's, you know, a positive thing. So maybe there are... Steps that can be taken. Yeah, maybe. I just... It's it's a worldwide thing, though. It would have to be... Like, it's not... I don't think it's happening anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And if it just happened in Australia, then it would be like before Netflix... Uh, before they made it hard for you to get American Netflix in Australia, people would just be like, okay, well... I'll just find that overseas, unless they they can't for some of the smaller Australian bands. But, but what if, if it's free somewhere online, then people will find it. I can honestly say I've never, ever downloaded music 
for free before. And and the main reason for that is because I honestly I'm a bit of a ladder and I wouldn't really know where to where to begin. Um, but but then I also kind of think and you know look this isn't a new concept but like when I was a kid I used to tape I like I used to borrow friend CDs and make cassette tape recordings mm -hmm. of their CD and then give it back you know they'd lend me their CDs and give it back so it's, I mean so it's kind of well like, I, I guess what's happened is that technology like in many areas of life have uh, has opened the floodgates to something and it's just kind of gotten out of control there hasn't been any provisions put in place you know technology is that fucking it's such a beast you know it it it's always like running ahead of uh, running ahead of us and you know it's yeah. really hard to we always seem to be playing catch up to try and like make things fair or legal or you know whatever yeah it's just really hard to i mean the only other thing i can think of would be like i th i don't know if it's sweden or probably but there's there's some wonderful country overseas <laughs> it'd where be a, artists... It'd be one of the... It'd, it'd be a Scandinavian country because, let's face it, Scandinavian countries are like, you know, have a reputation for being more progressive in just about every area. But... <laughs> yeah, one of those Scando countries, or all of them, <laughs> they're just... They have like an artist doll. And uh, if yeah. you can prove that you're actively working as an artist and making art, then you can have a, a living doing that. I've heard of that, yeah. And, you know, maybe that sort of thing would help make up for where you totally. lose money elsewhere. Absolutely. You know, in the 90s, I was on the dole for like 12 months in between quitting uni and and Jebediah actually starting to earn any money. And back then, you could actually, you could kind of scrape a living, like you could get by on the dole. You could get by on 200 bucks a week. Mm. Um, you still had to go through the motions of, you know, um, pretending to apply for jobs and all that kind of stuff and falsifying, you know, information on your, <laughs> on your doll forms and stuff. But you could live off 200 bucks a week. But now you just, I mean, now that's just impossible. I, yeah. I don't know how the fuck people survive. Well, I guess a lot of them don't. Um, it's tricky. Yeah, I've got a few friends. I don't think even, I have had a few friends over the last few years that have been like, experts at staying on the dole for as long as possible <laughs> but even those guys have all been like i give up yeah. i can't do it anymore yeah they've made it so hard that it and they weren't just like kicking around not working no. this is this is a guy who's a runs an amazing theater company and works really hard all year long yeah on theater productions another one of those guys is a um, music producer who's also uh, makes music videos and is a musician. These are really active people Absolutely. that deserve to. Yeah. You know, they're not system rotors. Totally. It's bullcrap. Yeah, totally. I think yeah, that's a a massive kind of misconception about sort of the grassroots kind of arts mm. community. Well, look, let's go back in time, Loz, and. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested, you know, to kind of get a bit of backstory. So I suppose, like, to begin with, what's your sort of early memory of getting into music? Uh, if there was a, a moment or a, or an artist that kind of, where a, a switch was kind of turned on. Or, um, and your sort of, your family life, you know, 
where you grew up and, and what kind of influence your family sort of had on your, your musical kind of discovery? Okay. Uh, well, my family, um, we all grew up on the Carpenters. I've got three sisters. <laughs> yep. Um, and my parents were not particularly cool and didn't have a lot of records, yep. but they really loved the Carpenters and the Seekers yep. and the Beatles. Yep. And that's good. Um, that's a, that's that's there's nothing wrong I mean, with that. <laughs> it's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, uh, but, Matt. It's better than what I my you know what I was raised on. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think two two out of three ain't bad. I'm not a massive Seekers fan. Um, what's the big Seekers hit? Um, uh, hey there, Georgie girl. Oh, I've got time. I got time for that. And also, <laughs> <laughs> also, all bound for morning town, many miles away. Yeah, that's borderline. I mean, it's very <laughs> naff, but you know, I met the guitarist from the Seekers the other night, and I told him I was a fan, but it was mainly because I wanted to get a photo with him to send to Dad. No. Oh. Um, and how did your dad respond to the photo? He was stoked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy was the hot guy in the Seekers too. So right, nice. Um, I mean, he's not hot. He's old now, but oh yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's an aside. It's what not are you really... saying? Old people can't be hot. Oz? <laughs> no, it's just. I mean, it just sounds weird to say he's really hot because he's much, much older than me. But I've definitely looked at Dad's concert programs when I was a kid, and I was like, "Who's that, honey?" And he was still the same amount older than me then. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so so grew, we grew up listening to those bands. And you grew up, uh, in, did you grow up in the Central Coast of New South Wales? Is that? Uh, I did, but when I was um, four years old, we spent a year in Queensland. Right. And uh, that's the year that I, my, or like maybe I was three, between three and four, and that's where my first memories uh, exist. Cool. So what, and, were, what were they? So, um, yeah, I remember driving around in the car with the family listening to the Carpenters and singing at full volume. <laughs> and I still love the Carpenters yeah. and feel super strongly about them. And Karen's my favourite singer. On top of that, I had... Um, so, me and my sister Nat are the kind of music fans and singers out of the sisters. And the other two weren't as much into singing. Right, okay. But I've got memories of Nat kind of having backyard concerts for the family, singing <laughs> Whitney Houston and right. Bette Midler and all kinds of stuff. And, yeah, I think that's when I got into music. Um, as, you know, as soon as I – my earliest memories are fond memories of music. Yeah. And also the, the musical Annie was my oh, first, yeah. Yeah. first favourite film. And I, I used to sit in the window singing the songs as if I was her. <laughs> When I was in year nine at high school, and I I did theatre all through high school, and that was my it was my my first high school production that I was involved in was Annie. Oh my god! Yeah. Were you one of the boys that gets beaten up? No, I wasn't one of the boys that got beaten up. I was like I said, it was I was it was my first one in high school, so I was very much a sort of ensemble cast member. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I played the role of a policeman that. Ah. Um, that, oh, look, I couldn't, I can't even really remember, you know, what my, it was just a few lines. I was a cop sort of in the first act. And then in the yeah. second act, I played, there's like a radio show that the oh, kids yes. all listen to. And there's a, pup, a, there's a pup, yeah, there's a puppeteer. 
Oh, yes. no, not a, a ventriloquist. A ventriloquist. Yeah, and he's like playing little songs with his shoes and stuff. Yeah, so like I was the ventriloquist and this, my friend, his name, <laughs> my friend Steve, who was like always really, he was like a really little, he was a little kid. Um, same age, but he was just really small. <laughs> mm. And he played the uh, the puppet. So he, <laughs> he he sat on my lap, and um, and he he played the role of the puppet. Um, <laughs> and Steve Pierce, who was you know one of my you know I've been one of my best friends since since we were five. Who now, crazily enough, like works for Spinning Top, the um, management company for Damon Impala, and he's <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and he's like you know flitting between fucking Fremantle and LA all the time. But uh, wow, that's a pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, so anyway, Annie, uh, I do, I you know, I I'm there with you on Annie. I have I have fond memories of of that show and the music. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else did I get into? And then in primary school, I got into like um, adult oriented rock. So I was Ooh. really into Julian Lennon and Richard Marks and Rick Price yeah, and okay. Southern Sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so, so, so we're talking sort of, well, that's all kind of late late 80s, right? Late 80s. Late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. John Farnham. I really liked Power Ballads. Yeah. Look, sung by handsome men with mullets. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot of them around back then. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I, as I said before, you know, I'm a few years older than you and I... Still, I had, you know, I had my moments with those, with those. There's people. nothing wrong with it, and I still, no. I still like Richard Mark sometimes. Yeah, yeah. He writes a good middle eight. Well, look, the middle eight, and we've talked on this, this podcast about middle eights before, and um, look, as any songwriter or, or um, music enthusiast would probably agree that the middle eight is an art form, and when I hear, you know, big popular mainstream pop songs with shit middle eights it makes me kind of annoyed yeah. it's like come on like this is your this is the moment where you can make a song just where Soar. you yes that's right it's like this is where you've you, got you, it's, you've got you one moment you've got one moment in this song <laughs> where you can have the listener kind of go oh yeah this is cool this is cool and, and then kind of blow their way. fucking minds <laughs> <laughs> with something totally unexpected and great yeah and some people it just Sometimes you hear songs on the radio and it's just like, ah, oh, what is that? That's it? Yeah. That's well, that it? that's because now it's people, um, I was reading about it. I had noticed the trend, but I didn't know it had a name. But, you know, the have you heard of the Millennial Whoop? Oh, yes. I saw that come up on Facebook. So, yes, let's yeah. talk about the Millennial Whoop because this is interesting. Yeah. So it's, I don't know how to talk about it um, te- musical. like an educated musician, yeah. but it's that thing in songs that you hear all the time where they're like, oh, yeah. like it's just going between the two notes. Yeah. And I don't, I can't even think of any songs that do it because I don't listen to that kind of shit. But one of them is uh, Kings of Leon, you, you somebody. Whoa, whoa. Um, yes. There's a lot of songs that were, uh, because there's, you know, in this little clip they show so many songs and it's quite a few that I didn't, don't recognise, but um, it's just a sort of, uh, two note interval thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm sure there'll be like people that have studied music properly that will be listening to this kind of going. This is the worst explanation. <laughs> that's ever. why I was hesitant to go in because I don't know how to explain it, and I don't even know how to sing it. it because I mean, I just don't know enough about it, but I know it when I hear it. <laughs> 
that, I mean, that kind of stuff is fascinating because I guess like it kind of leads into this idea that um, manufactured pop music it's so kind of constructed, right? And yeah. and and I guess there are a lot of people that are kind of deconstructing what they're hearing and mm. and noticing this kind of stuff. I mean, I n- would never have picked up on that, but it is unbelievable. It's definitely a thing. But I mean, that's always been happening. Yeah, like bubblegum music and in the Brill Building, they were doing the same kind of stuff. I yeah. just I prefer the old style manufactured pop to this. Here I am being a crotchety old lady again. <laughs> No, you're allowed to be. You're allowed to be yeah, a crush Yeah, my life. <laughs> anyway, we, we, we got off, off track, which is great. I love getting <laughs> off track on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. you sort of, your early sort of memories, three or four carpenters, um, primary school, mullet, kind of rock songs. Then, then where do we go? We go into high school. Yeah, high school, Nirvana. Of course, yeah. And... The Mighty Jebs, they were there. Oh, stop it. So, <laughs> were you, um, when did you start playing guitar? Uh, I started playing guitar when I was in year eight. So I was about 13 or yep. 14. Yep. And, yeah, I was talking about this last night. I started playing guitar and skateboarding around the same time. And I think it was probably to impress um a guy that i had had the hots for (laughs) what the skateboarding or the guitar or both both yeah well you know skateboarding and playing guitar is kind of hot regardless of whether you're a guy (laughs) or a girl it's pretty pretty hot pretty cool yeah i think it, it started becoming a recurring um not a problem but like i started having this idea on more than one occasion that it was like i got dumped by a guy in year seven and then after we broke up he took up guitar and he always had a guitar with him and I was like I never have anything to say to him and I still um I want to talk to him at any opportunity but I have to have a reason and the only time I have a chance to talk to him is in the hallway before we go into class yeah and um so if I knew anything about guitar or played guitar that would be a topic of conversation yeah it's so sad Uh, it's, Um, it's you know I wouldn't say sad it's just, it's, and look, you know, pathetic. I relate. It's No, it's not pathetic. It's just, you know, those years, they're, they're rough. fucking rough, man. They're awkward. And mm. it's painful, man. It's really it painful. Is. It was a hard time. Yeah. I, oh, so God. that happened and I missed all those opportunities and then he left, he moved schools. And then I had the hots for another guy that lived around the corner and he also skated and yeah. I was like, okay, I'm not going to let this one get away. I know for a fact that all he does on the weekend is play guitar, watch cartoons and skateboard. Yep. And I'm just going to tell him that I also skateboard and play guitar. Yeah. And that we should do that together. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> I got to hang out with him all weekend. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's a, look, it's a beautiful snapshot of... Uh... What are, where are we at now? Early 90s? Or, yeah, we're mid, into the 90s uh, now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah mid yeah. to late 90s. Yeah, yeah. I want to know more about, you know, guitar, like picking up the guitar. Um, I, I went and got guitar lessons with one of my dad's friends. And um, on the first day, like coming home, after I came home from my first lesson with two chords up my sleeve, which was A and E, Yep, I wrote nice. a song with those two chords or like variations of those yep. two chords. 
And it's going to be a pretty upbeat, happy song if all you've got is A and E. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it was going ding ding ba boom. Oh, uh, bluesy, bluesy. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is true. Yeah. yeah, A E and D. That's right. That's the classic kind of blues. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured I figured it out. Ways to make something that should be happy sad. Um, and I think Nat was visiting at that time like on the day I got my first guitar lesson and she asked me what chords they'd taught me and she's like oh I could teach you um uh pink no not pink Floyd a Radiohead song uh-huh. um it was green plastic watering can that, that plas- song fake plastic trees fake plastic trees yes yeah because that doesn't have many chords in it and so she's like if you know that if you know a then I can teach you um that song which she'd recently learnt, and she cool. taught me that. And yeah, I just started writing with every new variation of chord that I was taught. Uh, and the guy that I had the crush on that I was hanging out with, um, thankfully, he and his friend that lived around the corner were super encouraging of me playing and singing because I was quite shy. Yeah. yeah. And they'd be like, Your turn, you have a go. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And they're like, No, 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 go on. And that was really, that was a cool thing to have happen because I yeah. didn't really expect any kind of interest coming from them in my songs. Yeah, I think that's a really important moment um, mm. because, you know, I've talked about this before and where um, I can remember I was writing songs on guitar for year, for, well, quite a few years before I sort of showed anybody anything. It was kind of all, you know, it was just something that I did that I didn't let anybody else see or hear because you know i was too i was just scared of you know that that they thought i was a dick so um but the first time i played me and chris from jebs you know we always used to jam together and hang out and learn nirvana songs and all that kind of stuff and um then i played him for whatever reason i played him something of my own and his Mm -hmm. response was so enthusiastic and encouraging and I, I i remember him sort of saying something along the lines of oh fuck like writing our own songs is way cooler than learning other people's songs that we should be doing this yeah and it it only occurred to me in very recent times like literally just the last few years that like what a significant moment that was because had the reaction have been the opposite one or you know had it been a bad experience who knows how that would have affected me and like yeah you could have just dropped the guitar and never picked it up again maybe you know I, I you just don't know I mean especially at that age you know so it's such a fragile age because the, that time that I'm talking about I probably would have, maybe 14 maybe 15 um, wow. so really you know very fragile age where those kind of moments can have a pretty massive impact, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, it's interesting hearing you sort of recount that story because, yeah, kind of, I can I can definitely relate. Yeah, I wish, I wish it was possible to get it through to teenagers. Not that I ever spend a lot of time talking to teenagers, but I wish it was possible to let them know how important it is to not create insecurity, lifetime insecurities for yeah. someone. <laughs> At that yeah. age, I was invited to do like a talk and or an inter- like a live interview on stage to like music students in high school and stuff. And it really struck me then. I mean, you know, going into that environment with high school students, it of course you know it makes you reflect on your own um, 
high school years and it really struck me just about just how fucking vulnerable they seemed you know it's mm. it's it's an age that I think I have a lot of time for teenagers and I feel a lot of empathy towards teenagers because because I can still really remember just not only how kind of sort of scary and terrifying and and um vulnerable that time is but also how uh, significant it is in in developing into the kind of adult that you're going to be um yeah. and some of those things that happen to you at during those years they can really have yeah like a lot like they can reverberate all the way through your life totally younger years too like i had one of my hugs i don't mean to um to take away from what you're saying which is serious but this is a serious problem as well i had a hug of mine um critiqued by my sister once when i was about (laughs) nine And wow. I still, to this day, don't know where to put my arms when yeah. I hug someone. Ugh. It's not, I mean, th- I think that's a serious problem. Yeah. But, you know, it's not, um, it's not like a, it's not a feelings problem. <laughs> but it can be if you hug some, if you just keep hugging people awkwardly and then after you break the hug, you sense that from their facial expression that they didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Then it becomes a feelings problem. <laughs> All right, well, let's go from hugs to your... For anybody that's new to this podcast, we always kind of do this thing towards the end where um, I ask my guest uh, to show us their top 25 most played oh. songs on their iTunes list. Yes, I forgot about that. Ah! I, but I, it's okay. Don't that's worry. A... I, I'm on my computer. You're on your computer, yes. Yeah, so... I'm having um, problems with my iTunes playlist, which is very sad. I know that I can fix this, though. This happened recently where, like, so right now I'm looking at, um, like, all of my playlists yeah. on iTunes have disappeared. Ah, that is weird. Which is terrifying um, because I use iTunes all the time. But I know that I can fix it. Um, fucky fuck fuck. Or I can Skype you back in, like, five minutes. Because I know I can do this, and I. Uh, All right. Well, actually, yeah, that'd be cool if you. Yeah, well, Skype me back if you want, because then that gives me the opportunity to um, put in some um, funny hold music. Okay. So let um, me Skype you back Skype once me... I sort this out. Okay. Cool. It won't be long. All right. No problems. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> It was quite stressful, but I got there. Oh, I'm sorry to put you through that. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I forgot to... uh, I just completely forgot about the iTunes thing. Because I'm a busy lady. I know. I know. I was multitasking. I was obviously, like, (laughs) packing some some T-shirts at the same time. (laughs) All right. So you got your top 25 in front of you? I do. And it was exactly what you were saying. There's lots of demos and stuff in here. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll cross those bridges when we come to it. Uh, so we'll go through three. I'll just kind of throw numbers at you, and we'll see what what happens. Okay. Mhm. Um, okay. Let's go number. Um, I normally go high numbers. So maybe what's number twenty? 
Number 20. <laughs> this is Thank God It's Christmas by Queen. Yes. That's <laughs> awesome. The what reason... You... Yeah, yeah, tell us about <laughs> this. So the reason that these are in my most played songs is not because I'm always listening to Queen Christmas songs, <laughs> but because um, I do lots... Whenever, whenever I um, do lots of singing and practicing for shows where I'm singing songs where I'm not, they're not my usual songs. Uh, it's always on iTunes that I'm running it from. And I did, uh, a performance of Queen, thank God it's Christmas at a Christmas show a couple of years ago. And, um, I was, I just really wanted to nail it. So I obviously played it a lot of times. Yeah. And how did it go? I think it was good. I pulled tinsel out of my pants. Ah, oh, well, let's, heck, you can't lose if you're no, pulling not tinsel really. out of your pants. <laughs> that, that's a class move. Yeah, yeah I also um, had I, bits of toilet paper in my pocket and I threw them at the crowd <laughs> like snow. Uh, I, too, have performed in a Christmas concert where this song was performed, not by me, but by Paul Dempsey. And he ah, sang the one. shit out of it. Thank God it's yeah, Christmas. Yeah. It was it was pretty awesome. Uh, I don't think I could pull it off. I mean, how? Um, well, I mean, we haven't talked about Queen. I know you're a massive Queen fan, Freddie Mercury fan. I mean, how mm-hmm. did how did your Queen fandom sort of come come about? Um, I remember. Well, I have. I vividly remember seeing the news the day that he died, and. They were showing really old footage of him kind of swanning around on stage in a in a Zandra Rhodes costume that had big kind of white right. wings, like really flared yeah. arms. Um, and I didn't know who he was. And I was like, Mum, who's Freddie Mercury? Like really curious about him. And her face just dropped and she was like, oh, no, he's died, has he? Uh... And so that was my first... Um, like I I knew Bohemian Rhapsody, but I didn't know who who yeah. performed it. And then uh, so that that's kind of the first time I was aware of Freddie. And then uh, in year ten, we did a teacher takeoff thing at the end of the year, and there was a teacher that rode to school every day. And so I ran around all the groups. Uh, I was organising it, and I was like, "Who? Of course!" And I was like, "So who's got um? Who has that?" Uh, a Queen Greatest Hits tape, I need to get that bike song off it. And a guy called Jacob was like, my sister's got that, I'll bring it in for you. And, yeah, because it was on a tape, I had to listen or fast-forward through it to get to the song that I wanted. And um, I fell in love with Queen. And I there were songs that I didn't that I knew that, like um, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, I had thought that was an Elvis song. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's very much inspired by Elvis, isn't it? Yeah, and Don't Stop Me Now, I just lost my shit when I heard that. So I just became <laughs> an instant queen nut from that moment on. And That, that uh, Queen Greatest Hits record would have to be, I mean, that that's like a kind of record that is in so many houses. I, I had that on cassette tape. I don't know where it came from, how I came to... How I came to have it, mm. but um, Queen's greatest hits. You know, it is one of probably one of the classic greatest hits records. Yeah, right? apparently I mean, it's the most. Um, it's sold the most records in England ever. It's still like wow. the highest selling album. 
Were, were they like a, a, a prog? What, what, what would you? Like the early what days. Box would you put them in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. the early days they sounded a lot like Led Zeppelin. Um, right. But the, and the lyrics were really Dungeons and Dragonsy. Like I don't, I don't particularly like the first few albums. <laughs> I mean, they're okay, but um, my favorite era is 1975 to 1985. Um, and the stuff yeah, right. before before is okay. The stuff after is pretty hard going i mean there, there are always hits um but i just feel like the 90s stuff is pretty gross <laughs> um but you know the show must go on there's still songs here and there that i love yeah just the production got a bit weird have they performed without they've performed with in yeah, recent they, times haven't they with different singers or yeah they had paul rogers from the band free and um, that was really adult contemporary. Right. Um, and then I had, uh, they toured Australia actually um, with Adam Lambert. Yes, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. Who's like an American uh, reality TV show winner, right? Yeah, it's just lame. The bass player is the cool guy. He's, he's the one that just quietly bowed out in style. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why it's gone this way, but I mean, if George Michael was lead singer, I'd be up for it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he did some stuff at a Freddie tribute concert that led me to believe he was the only person who could replace him. Yeah. I mean, you right. couldn't, you couldn't fill his shoes, but God no. that's as close as you're gonna get. Yeah. But I mean, he's throwing himself out of cars these days, so he probably can't do it either. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's go to another number. Um, let's go in number number nine, the John Lennon's favourite number, number nine. Number what? nine, George Jones, Things Have Gone to Pieces. Yep. Um, well, tell me about this because I don't know this song. I haven't heard of this song. I reckon um, I found out about this song specifically when George Jones died a few years ago. Jeez, oh, another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, because Dan Luskin from the Drones posted a a really amazing video of George, young George Jones, performing this song, um, on a TV show, and he's got a flat top haircut, and he's just a badass. And I do a country show once a year, which you've been part of. Yes. And, uh, country drag show. You must, country drag show. I can't yeah. admit that. That is one of the main features of the show. That's true. So, um, yeah, people people have to dress in drag when they're pe- on stage. People dress in drag and they uh, the, the men sing country songs made famous by women and vice versa. Yeah. And, and when so, I performed at your one, uh, it was last year, wasn't it? Was it? Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in typical style, I didn't even think about what I was going to wear until, you know, just as I had to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up, it was, this is, this is, it's, it's so poor. Um, it's like, this is like, I'm like the kind of person that like gets invited to a dress up party and at, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, the night of the party, then goes, oh fuck, I don't have a costume and then has to like put together something really shit. So <clears throat> what I did was in about an hour before I had to leave, I, Got an old pair of jeans that I just cut really high. <laughs> so they, in my head, they were supposed to be like, you know, like Daisy Daisy Duke style cut off 
jeans, mm-hmm. in which I thought, you know, it was appropriate for the country thing, but <clears throat> they just looked terrible. And then I borrowed one of my wife's um, sort of blouses. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I pretty much end up looking like a kind of s- Southern American crack addict. <laughs> <That> it was, <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was, it was terrible. And the, the problem is, <clears throat> you know, with when it comes to doing these kind of dress up occasions too, is if you fall into the trap that I fell into and you don't put in the work and you end up sort of just doing something haphazardly, you run the very real risk of not being obvious enough to suggest that you're actually in costume. <laughs> so, And I felt like I was in that dangerous zone where people would sort of see what I was wearing and kind of go, because it wasn't, it was such a bad costume, it wasn't so obvious <laughs> what I was trying to be, who I was trying to be. Just, I just just like too cool to, to dress up. <laughs> so tips, tips for people going to uh, costume-themed nights. Put the effort in, start thinking about it a little bit before the night, make the costume really obvious, you know, own it, don't go in half-assed. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. You performed wonderfully. Uh, so is that happening? Great. Is that happening again this year? Uh, hopefully, I need to find the time to do it. Totally, yeah. Yeah, imagine. it's not. I don't have any dates booked or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So okay. So but yeah. So tell me. We, I feel like we haven't spoken too much about George Jones. So he's. So he's another dead. He's a dead country dude. He was dead country dude. He's. I think. Yep. Uh, I'd, what kind of era are we talking? Like? Uh, I think he might have come about in the 50s or 60s. Right. Maybe 50s. Um, and he married Tammy Wynette, and they were like the oh. king and queen of country at some point. Wow. Okay. Um, he was a big drunk. Um, of course. He's got a really, really beautiful, rich tone to his voice. And... Uh, He's great. He's just like, so yeah, we we covered that song, Things Have Gone to Pieces, on one of the years that I did this country show. And so, once again, it's in my iTunes because I was practicing along to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, and let's go, yeah, instead of number one, let's see, what's number two? Number two, another country song, Hank Williams' Cold, Cold Heart. Cold, cold heart. Now, um, I feel like I know this song. Um, um, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. How the fuck does it go? <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm on the spot, the only bit that I can remember of it is, um, Why can't I steal your lonesome and your cold, cold heart? Um, it's something about like someone, someone damaged you before I got to you. And now your heart's cold. That's the vibe of the uh, lyrics. And I think I've just remembered where I know this song from. I've heard someone cover it. Cold, cold heart. Um, yeah, I tried so hard. I tried so hard, my dear, to show that you're my every dream. Yet you're afraid each thing I do is just some evil scheme. A memory from your lonesome past. Sorry, past keeps us so far apart. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not good. You at know who covered this? Who? Nora Jones. Ah. I th- oh fuck! I oh, fuck! I hope I've got this right. 
Um, I'm going to have to, when we finish talking, I'll, I'll backtrack and I'll find out. In fact, you know what? We'll, let's do it live. I'm going to quickly just... Um, Google. I'm just going to con- consult. Uh, should I go Google or Wikipedia? Uh, I would go Google. I'd be typing in Nora Jones Cold Cold Heart. As right. a person who has hosted music trivia, yeah, I mean, Nora I mean, Jones. just take it from me. Cold, cold heart, cold, cold heart by Nora Jones. I've tried so hard, my dear, to show yes. that you are my favorite. Yes, she covered this song on her most famous record, a record that I love, and it's kind of a record that, at the time, everyone who knew me wondered why the fuck I love this record because it was kind of lame to like this record. It was, you know. Uh, the record was Come Away With Me and it was, you know, she won like a million Grammys for it. And it was sort of known as a bit of a kind of um, dinner party music mm. kind of record. And um, But I just loved it. I loved the songs and I loved her voice. And um, and yes, she covered Cold Cold Heart by Hank Williams. Uh, the, the Hank Williams song dates 1951. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she does just a beautiful... I mean, she's kind of... Um, in my opinion, she's one of those singers that you know she could kind of sing the phone book and make it sound, make it sound beautiful. Yeah, so, I don't really know yeah. much about her. I know she's R- Ravi Shankar, Shankar's daughter. That's right, daughter. I yeah. just know trivial things about her. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously that record was just this global fucking super hit. Yeah, um, and she won a million Grammys, and 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 I think she's one of those. She's you know kept. She's been prolific. She's kept putting out records every few years, and but she, I think she's really mm-hmm. changed her style too. She's kind of uh, sort of um, uh, rubbed against that her mainstream kind of audience and done things a little, you know, kind of gone off on a slightly more alternative route, perhaps that um, mm-hmm. that her audience had come a, a cut, had become accustomed to. So, but yeah, I think she's. I think she's great. That record is awesome. I mean, that had, um, uh, fuck, uh, I don't know why I didn't come. Yeah. That song? Yeah. Which is, yeah, That's it was fucking, it was everywhere for a while. And I was, yeah, a total sucker for it. But anyway, Hank Williams, Cold Cold Heart. So country music. Let's talk about country music really quickly because we're getting towards the end of the podcast. We should wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did you, how did, where does country music fit into your, your you know, musical discovery you know uh i think i got into country music um via evan dando from the lemonheads because he um i was a massive lemonheads fan around the time that i finished school yeah me too he put out a live album called live at brattle theater and it had a bonus disc just on the australian release that was an ep of country covers Right. And it was like one song by John Prine, one song by um, the Leuven Brothers, uh, one song by Graham Parsons or something like that. It was just like a whole bunch of really great. great country songs. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I took an interest in – I paid attention to the writers he was covering and just kind of kept them in the back of my mind as like, you know, must keep an eye out for those guys. And then not long after that, I saw a band called Grandview, which was um, Tim Oxley from the, what was his band called? The Humdingers. And Trent from the Melnicks. Uh, yeah, they were like a folk country band that supported Darren Hanlon, which was the first gig I went to as an 18-year-old. 
uh, him launching his first EP. And, yeah, they were just the support band, but because it was the whole idea of going to live music was blowing my mind, I gave them extra special attention. And uh, and they were awesome, and they had a cover of a Graham Parsons song. I think it's called Blue Eyes, or it has a line about, I've got the sun sun to see your blue eyes and tonight you're in my arms anyway so then these country the country joy just kept um kept coming back to me and coming to me from different angles and uh not long after that I dated a guy and he had a book called rock snobs dictionary and I opened it to it just was like a bunch of people that most people have never heard of like obscure music producers and obscure country artists and I opened it to a page and the Leuven brothers were there and the description of them was so hilarious that I was like okay that's it I'm I'm finding out more now and I went and got one of their albums and um I was done I just I became obsessed I told someone that I knew that I was getting into country and he's like I'll make you a mix so then he made me a mix. It had Loretta Lynn and also some newer country artists like Nico Case um, and Gillian Welch. And it just kept, it snowballed from there. I'm a massive country fan. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really interesting to me how we get exposed to this kind of stuff. You know, that's somebody like Evan Dando who sort of came up during the 90s and Lemonheads was sort of part of that whole grunge kind of thing. But he obviously had these really heavy country influences, you know, on It's a Shame About Ray, probably mm. one of the first records I heard as a teenager that had pedal steel on it and stuff. Um, and that that can open a, a uh, you know, a doorway mm-hmm. into a genre, a whole world of music, in fact, that um, that is almost, well, it's related, obviously, but very distant, you know. Um, it's such a cool thing. I mean, um also, to um, bands like Wilco and um, um, and Palace Music, and there was sort of this alt country thing that was happening in the '90s at the same time as I was getting into like you know mm-hmm. rock and roll bands and stuff. And um, and yeah, it's just it is it's fascinating how you can kind of it can yeah that you can kind of like find your way into this whole new world and become so enraptured by it i mean i too got the country bug big time um which is probably no surprise to people who know my music you know um anyway all right let's wrap this this up i I sort of always like to end these things with um a bit of a parting note and i'll try and keep the question really short why do you love music why do you keep what's what what keeps you so um involved and inspired and um, invigorated by music? Yeah, uh, I guess um, there are very few simple joys in life where, you know, I'm not into sport or anything like that. Um, so this is this is something that has just made me feel good yeah. on a very base level from the time that I was from as early, far back as I can remember. Um, so that's why I am a music fan and why I, uh, always go back to it and, you know, playing music with people and singing is, um, is fun for me and relaxing. That said, the, the process of promoting an album, um, is not that fun for me, which is why I've taken a break from it, but I still feel passionate about other people's music and feel passionate about, um, providing some visibility or a platform for people 
that aren't yeah. sick of playing their own music. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just having a break for a while, but I, I'll always be passionate about it. And I worked in a record store for seven years, so I'm a massive, um, I'm a big fan of music. A music nerd, would you say? Yep, that's right. <laughs> um, what do you need to tell people about Amateur Hour as a, as a final plug before we wrap up? Um, well, if people want to check out what we've made so far, and, and uh, they can go on amateurhour.tv. Um, and you can watch the entire first season up there and you can also get to our YouTube from there and subscribe to it and then you'll we're going to be releasing stuff as it's made this time so there's going to be constantly rolling new content comedy skits and music performances and interviews and stuff coming up so subscribe awesome thank you so much Loz for Thanks, joining Kevin. me I really really appreciate you taking the time out no uh, from your very busy schedule no problem um, thanks for having me cool and yeah hopefully um i'll, I'll see you around the traps uh, soon uh-huh you will cool all right Bye.